Hello and welcome to the Nomiki Show. I am Nomiki Konst and we are on the road, obviously. <laughs> this is not our usual setup. Uh, so thank you all for being so patient with me today because I'm gonna be doing this a little bit differently. Uh, we're from, we're, we're in an office space. Somebody has very graciously uh, offered us their office space while I'm on the, on the road uh, doing some work for my other side gig. Uh, welcome to the Nomiki Show. I am Nomiki Konst and Joe Biden, uh, if you're looking at the press, he's riding high. Well, at least two new polls say this week that the Democratic Party seems to be rallied around him. Over 90% both of these polls say approve of Joe Biden. So the mainstream spin is that this is surprising since progressives were so skeptical of Biden. Well, yeah, we are still skeptical, but we're also smart. Supporting Biden, it is getting things done. We do have to hold him accountable. And so far he has been more than willing to act in ways that we may not have expected. He put through the rescue plan that we needed, despite Republican resistance, even though he said he wanted to work with Republicans. He's pushing an infrastructure plan well overdue, less than we needed, but he's still pushing it through despite Republican resistance. He has announced a clear end to the forever war in Afghanistan, and he's announced that he's gonna do it on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. He's doing that despite Republican ex uh, resistance. And there are still other good moves that we support. Okay, great. But let's not draw too much too fast from the fact that less than 100 days into his new administration, the Democratic Party is somehow united. Polls aren't a great way at capturing the nuance of views. You know, you really have to read into these polls. The press likes to overly uh, <laughs> summarize the polls, but looking at the cross tabs, looking at the questions, looking at who is polled, the age groups, all of that nuance is really important. With that being said, he has been a bit better than expected in these early days. The neoliberals are a little bit back on their heels in these early days. And I think that has more to do with some of our public pressure and the primary that was run and also just this economic crisis. But I am I, for one, uh, am not going to make sure that these Republicans are happy by trashing Biden all day long unless it is deserved. So we still have to challenge him. Trash? No. Challenge? Yes. So when these new polls show 95 percent of Democrats are content with Biden, I am not surprised. We are so used to the neoliberals delivering for the GOP that Biden putting some band-aids on our economy gives us content. It is though still the first 100 days, the honeymoon period. That's what they call this period. We are still basking in the departure of the golden haired Trump and his band of you know, fascists. So we're happy that there is a shift and people are you know, tuning out a little bit, not watching the news anymore, they're disengaged, ratings are down across the board uh, with political news shows. People are relieved, they wanna feel relieved and maybe they're expressing that to the pollsters, whether or not they really agree with every move. But people should take a breath. So let's, uh, let's, let's, let's take a look at one of these headlines. Uh, the Hill put a headline saying that Biden wins over skeptical progressives. The headline needs two more words so far. There's been a lot of loose talk about Biden as the new FDR, but the better analogy may be Biden as the new LBJ. His years of experience in the Senate do seem to have given him one very, very valuable tool right this minute in this crisis. The ability to recognize when ramming through is a better tactic than tiptoeing around. And that was Obama's fundamental flaw. 
Biden seems to have learned that lesson at least so far, except maybe for pushing Mansion and Cinema or Schumer to push Mansion and Cinema. That's where I want to see the pressure applied. All right, everybody, we have an amazing show today. Lucy Flores is here to discuss the border crisis. Yes, I say the word crisis over and over because the Biden administration does not want to call it a crisis. Uh, and then later we have Esperanza Fonseca and Piper Winkler back on the show. It is Femme Friday, and I am here in an office on a trip for Matriarch. <laughs> so what better way to, to celebrate? All right, we'll be right back with Lucy Flores. Hello, welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. So you guys, I know you've heard me talk about this before, but we're very excited because the Nomi Key Show Book Club, which has entered its fourth month, we're in the middle of our fourth month, we have partnered with Verso Books. Verso Books is doing an amazing job. We are pushing out um, incredible authors. And you know, one thing I think folks don't know is, or may not be aware of, is that during COVID, so many authors that published books weren't able to go on these tours. And so we're excited to partner with Verso Books to help promote really extraordinary leftist books. Uh, they have been so generous with their time and their authors who are willing to chat with us. Uh, if you're not a member of the book club, go to patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. And there's all different types of memberships. You can read one book a month, two books a month, or four books a month. And they come with an audio recording uh, hopefully with the author, if they're available, if they're alive. Some of these books are older, being republished. Um, but it's it's been a lot of fun. I mean, we did one in January, speaking of one that was older, uh, we did the Plunkett of Tammany Hall in January with Arun Chowdhury, who's a regular on our show. And that was just a blast because uh, it was a book that you know may have been forgotten by a lot of activists. And uh, we decided to, to bring it back to the top of the list. And I just got a note yesterday from somebody who, who was inspired by that book club conversation. But it's a lot of fun. You get the book in the mail, and then you get the recordings and send us your questions. Uh, that's always a fun aspect of this is asking questions of the authors and, and really inspiring the conversation from there. So go check it out. Verso Books is partnering with us at the TNS Book Club. Go to patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. All right, Lucy Flores. Lucy Flores, my dear friend, uh, is, of course, the CEO and co-founder of Lose Collective. She's also a former Nevada Assembly member, and she is a board member of the Women's March, also an advisor at Matriarch. Hi, Lucy. It's so great Hello. to see you. Hello. Oh, it's <laughs> wonderful to see you, too. Your setup is much better. I was saying that I'm on the road, and I know you've been on the road, and, like, this is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing what I can today. I was like, how do I make this work? <laughs> you know what? It's it, we work with what you got and you always do it well. So thank you. You look wonderful. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to have you on um, because, you know, I, I, I talked about this yesterday on the show. I, I just got back from Guatemala and uh, while I was in Guatemala, I met a man named Cesar who was guiding me on a hike for several hours in, in the mountains. And we got to talk um, on this hike and he told me, uh, you know, I've been to the United States one time and, and then he started sharing his story of being detained at the border. This is three years ago under Trump. And the details he shared, um, the, the, the texture of the details, just everything from smells to feelings, to temperature, to how many people, people in these rooms, to how many stops are along the way, to personalities of the ICE agents and the coyotes and the people that were being detained with him and who was fighting. Um, 
he told me as much as I've ever heard, more than I've ever heard about being detained and things that I really have not been reported out. Um, for instance, I mentioned yesterday that he was put into, after being moved around Texas and, uh, you know, put into very small rooms with hundreds, in one case, over a thousand people, um, he was sent to a workers camp. That, that's what I call it in my, where he right. was doing uh, farm labor and they were paying him a dollar a day. And that money was the money he was to use once he was sent back to Guatemala to get home. Right. Six hours away from Guatemala City. Yeah. Uh, he told me about being shackled, not just at the ankles and the wrists, but at the neck and then lined up and berated. And when he told me, I, I mean, you, we see the pictures, we've read the stories. Kamala Harris has talked about how inhumane this is. She's going to Guatemala now and Mexico. At what point and why? It hasn't the Biden administration. I mean, you're so involved in this. Why? There's there's little tweaks. They could build housing at yeah. the border. What? Why? Why? What's the point? You know, I I think that most immigration advocates and advocates in general would probably argue that, um, you know, the Biden administration is in a tough spot, uh, and he knew that he had immigration problems since the day he decided to run. Right. Um, his uh, experience and the way in which he defended the Obama era deportation policies. Um, I don't, most people still to this day don't know that the Obama administration deported more people um, than any administration prior. He earned the nickname the deporter in chief, and um, Biden was a part and parcel to that. And so, of course, in this election process and after he was elected, that was the number one fear of immigration advocates that um, he wasn't really going to be committed to overhauling or at least even attempting to overhaul and fix this incredibly inhumane system. I don't call it a broken system because it is doing what it intended to do. Um, we have had these immigration problems since the dawn of this country, right? We have used immigration to expel every um, non-white person group um, historically since, since the launch of this country. So this isn't a new problem. It's doing exactly what's intended to do. We have new people though. And those people should be attempting to change this, this inhumane system. It is a bipartisan problem. This isn't just a, a, a Trump era issue. This isn't uh, the dehumanization of immigrants has not, isn't something that is new. If we, if we uh, humanized immigrants the way in which we humanize these white supremacist terrorists, we would not be reading things in the media like surge and crisis and, and these words that are intended to cause fear and they are fear-mongering words. And so the Biden administration really needs to demonstrate that they are truly committed to this problem. And frankly, I think a lot of what we're seeing are all of the concerns and the fears that so many advocates had leading up to this. Um, and, and it's really unfortunate because you always hope for the best. And so what we're seeing is really um, his demonstration of his lack of non-commitment non to, to truly doing something meaningful um, around this situation. It's so interesting you talk about bipartisanship here because I, for folks, um, 
who may not remember, I mean, we're old enough to remember, the Bush era, uh, George W. Bush. And he came, you know, he came into office after a, the, the last largest surge, which was the late 90s. Um, this is when Pat Buchanan was calling for a border wall. And I remember when uh, Trump decided to bring that back, I was like, what? Who's saying that anymore? And, and now it's, you know, part of the norm. But, um, you know, once Bush took office, there was this sort of bipartisan effort to have comprehensive immigration reform. And somehow that just disappeared. Wait, what went wrong? Can you remind folks, like, how we ended up back where we were in the late 90s and you know, we, conversations? Yeah, and again, you know, the, the hypocrisy when it comes to immigration from both parties, right? This is equal opportunity hypocrisy here, okay? So I'm certainly not wanting to, I'm not a, a critiquing or attacking Democrats more than Republicans. They all deserve the same amount, some more in some instances, et cetera. But this is truly... A, a problem that has existed and has been per perpetuated by both parties. And we began to see the criminalization movement under the Clinton administration when he um, introduced various policies like the, the three and, and 10 year bar, um, the criminalization of minor infractions, like for example, uh, traffic infractions, warrants, et cetera. You had low level crimes that were being treated and elevated into felony status or more serious status was some of the verbiage in the law. That all happened under the Clinton administration. And in fact, if you, if you take a look at policy and what has actually been done historically here in, in the last 20, 25 years under these various administrations, Clinton by far was introduced and passed some of the most damaging changes to immigration law that to this day has continued to cause the astronomical problems and the inhumane treatment of humans, of immigrants, not just from Latin America, not just from Central America, but immigrants from all over the world, including Haiti, including many other countries that we, we often do not talk about. You know, it, it is always characterized as a very Mexican problem or a very you know, Latin American problem. Um, it's not right. The, these are these are people seeking oftentimes asylum and other issues, um, and other um, types of protection from all over the world. And 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 here we are. But, you know, these these the problems with our immigration system have been exasperated um, by both parties uh, under various administrations throughout the years. It's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, just today, Biden has announced that he won't raise the refugee cap this fiscal year, which is a reversal on his previous pledge. That's what CNN is reporting. Um, just to give you guys a little bit of background, this is separate from the uh, detention. I, I, it, 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 this is just overall refugee programs. So it could, uh, I believe, let me go down and see what the actual uh, 120, okay, the executive order will position us to be able to raise the, raise the refugee emissions back up to 125 persons for the first full fiscal year, uh, but they are directing the State Department to consult with Congress. And this is separate, again, from the U.S.-Mexico border heating up. This has to do with 7,000 slots for Africa, 1,000 for East Asia, 1,500 for Europe and Central Asia, 3,000 for Latin America and Caribbean, uh, 1,500 from near Asia, uh, near East and South Asia, and uh, 1,000 slots that are unallocated. This is in a country that 330 million people live here. Yeah. Uh, that's that's nothing. 
And note and note that that they even though this was announced, they have not another campaign promise that was made was the removal uh, or the non usage of Title 42, which is something that was also a Trump era. And so now this is a Trump era holdover. Title 42 is a section of of the health code that enables the administration to summarily deny access to the asylum system without any regard to anything. Um, a person presents, they are, uh, they, or, or they're um, caught, they're detained, and they are immediately removed. They are not even allowed to seek asylum, start the process, et cetera. And, and the way in which they have argued that they can do this is through Title 42. That was very much a campaign promise that the Biden administration made, that they would stop using this, that they would reverse that policy. They have not. They have, um, I believe, since, since uh, or at least since some numbers were recently released since March of 2020, only 1,897 people have been allowed to seek asylum out of the more than 600,000 removals, summary re removals at the border, meaning they appeared, no questions asked, returned. And the LA Times recently reported, I believe it was uh, maybe just a few days ago or, or recently, I'm not sure of the date, but the LA Times just very recently reported that in addition to that, you have asylum seekers who are being removed to other part, other cities in Mexico. So for example, they present in Texas, they fly them to uh, San Diego or, or the Tijuana on the other side of San Diego and, and, and left there, dumped there. And this is a part of, again, a holdover of this quote unquote deterrence approach where if immigrants and, and people seeking, seeking assistance um, hear that they're not going to be treated very nicely, that they're, they're going to stop from coming. We obviously know that that is absolutely absurd that this type of migration is cyclical. People migrate whether they think they're going to come across obstacles or not because they are leaving for, from dire situations. This is just a human process. And so for the Biden administration to continue some of these, some of these more inhumane and, and truly atrocious practices Again, as I said, it is really a nightmare come true for, for many immigration advocates. This is what I don't understand. I mean, it, some of these practices are so egregious. I mean, they're, 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 I, I understand that the border laws are a little bit different when it comes to, and I don't think a lot of people are aware of this, um, how human rights is conducted. This is something that uh, came about post 9-11. And I, I, what I just don't understand is why? What is their excuse? It's not like, oh my God, it's too much to handle. There are too many people. They could end some very basic, I don't know, shackling people at the neck. Maybe not, like you said, dumping them in different cities, um, providing, uh, I mean, the, the, the reunification process is a complicated, I understand that that is a complicated web that they're gonna have to sort through and it might not happen immediately. With that being said, there's so many other little things they could do that could just slightly improve the process. But Kamala Harris going to Guatemala and saying, stay here, and Cesar not understanding 
what, what's happening because they're, you know, it's not the same information isn't being shared there. He doesn't have Wi-Fi. He lives in a remote village. This is a primarily Mayan community. I mean, people have to understand his, his rationale was he was not making money. And when he did um, have work, he was making so little money, he could not feed his children. So what's the, tr you hear this is a pathway. I mean, this is right. I, the fact that we even have to say this at this point is, is, is so ridiculous after, you know, 25 years of debating this. But what I don't understand is why? Right. What is the justification of the Biden administration that they don't just end some of the most egregious practices that are inhumane? I think part of the thing that we're seeing, too, is that, as I said, I, I really keep emphasizing that this is a bipartisan problem because you have far too many, frankly, spineless Democrats um, who who are not willing to put themselves out there uh, for pro immigrant policies and and changes that need to be made to the immigration system. And um, and you have Democrats all along the Texas border, Congress people who are actively um, adding fuel to this fire, frankly. Uh, and it's all because they are catering to this white supremacist, anti-immigrant rhetoric that exists in their communities. This situation occurs in Arizona. This situation occurs in Texas. It occurs in Nevada. It occurs in, it, it occurs in many of these states where you have what we would call uh, or what people would characterize as a more moderate community, a more moderate electorate. Um, that to me is code for racist. Uh, because that's what this is. These are these are xenophobic and and entirely racist attitudes that um, many Americans, unfortunately, have developed towards immigrants, particularly immigrants from certain parts of the world, including including Latin America. And it really is that I think it boils down to that is that it is their lack of courage to stand up and do what is right and defend people who have frankly defended you, because we have to remember that the Biden administration is the Biden administration because the Latino vote made the difference in many key states in this last election, by the way, including work that was done by undocumented people, people who are, and folks who are dreamers. So folks that have no chance at this moment to seek citizenship are put their part in making sure that Biden was elected. And, and, and yet here we still are. And so this really is a, um, it's a, a profiling courage. And, and so far we're not seeing them. And, and it's, you know, it's really, it's really heartbreaking to, um, to see this story replay itself yet again. Um, these facilities at the border, these detention facilities that We've heard so many stories about that um, are owned and operated by uh, executives of prison companies um, using very similar tactics. I mean, Cesar doesn't understand that he was telling me things I'm like, oh, my God, they've been doing these in prisons for years. It's just it's just the patterns are yeah. overwhelming. Uh, what's the state of that? Because was, wasn't that supposed to be uh, ceased? Like, weren't they supposed to somehow transition into mainly federal? I I, I, we do have to give credit um, where we are seeing some progress. And, and while there, there was a reopening of facilities, um, we are now starting to see where a lot of those children are being moved into 
uh, more uh, halfway housing, transitional type of facilities. For example, Long Beach just recently in California just received a very um, sizable amount of people that are now going to be placed in the reunification process in, in Long Beach. There's other places that are also doing these, the same thing. Um, as you mentioned earlier, the reunification process, that was such a, a, a horrific, vile, um, entirely evil, frankly, thing to do. There were very little records kept there, I, I mean, there was just which the most terrible things that you can imagine happened. And, uh, and so, as you said, unraveling that is going to take quite a bit of time. But um, I, I think it is, a, it is good that we are at least seeing progress there. Um, not enough of it, not fast enough, of course. They are still detaining children. So it's not like, you know, we've stopped detaining children. Um, there has been an increase in um, some of the I, I do believe that Title 42, they are now having some exceptions for children. In fact, I think, actually, I do believe that it was um, court appointed. It was enforced by a November ruling that um, this could, they could not do, apply Title 42 to children. So, um, and that's, you know, the, are, that's the, the standard, you know, Biden has said, well, unaccompanied minors are allowed correct. to come here. It's not like his position on that has changed. It's that the ruling. It's the court. That. Correct. Yes. That's that's right. That. So that's <laughs> of course. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to that, we are starting to see some movement. Um, if you talk to advocates who do this work every single day, of course, it's not enough. Um, but at the very least, you know, we're starting to see some dismantling of that system. And, and frankly, bottom line is that it's not nearly enough and it does not address all of these other incredibly awful things that we are still seeing that, as I said, are Trump era holdovers. Um, can we talk a little bit about the root here? Because uh, there is a surge and yes, surges do happen with waves, but um, it really did... <laughs> You know, I think if, if folks had a choice, they wouldn't have chosen to uh, to be refugees in a country uh, ruled by Trump. Um, with that being said, where you know this this peak that this this surge that started happening during Obama era, coming from Central America, um, I remember at one point when Secretary Clinton at the time uh, she was putting pressure on Mexico to to hold people at their borders. Uh, so wouldn't continue. But, but what's going on in Central America? How did this all? Well, as we know, this? as we know, you know, uh, American intervention, pol interventionist policies have uh, have frankly just caused chaos in so many parts of the world. And Central America is is no exception. And so we know we can track back to the the various uh, decisions that were made to intervene in the government structures of of Guatemala, of other central Central American countries that resulted in terrible civil wars, that resulted in the um, in the destabilization of their economies, of their government, etc. Um, and and then of course let let's not forget to talk about the drug trade. Um, is the drug trade occurring? Is are cartels a very massive problem in uh, Latin America, particularly in Mexico and Central America? Of course, who are the consumers of those drugs? The consumers of those drugs are largely in the United States. That 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 flow is going north, and so you know we you know the the um, 
the gun, the gun trade, supplying guns. You know, the America's had a policy of um, supplying and arming militias, et cetera, right? Th these are all destabilization choices that were made uh, for various reasons. That being said, what, what we also have to remember is that I, this, these, these numbers occur on a fairly regular cycle. And it's generally happens around the springtime. And you have to remember that people, when they begin migrating, it is because they are either migrating for economic reasons or they're migrating for safety reasons. And so I think what the, the history of why these regions are so unstable and have so many issues that are directly connected to uh, the United States is really kind of the, the salt in the wound, if you will, right? Like we are a part of causing those problems. Um, we don't help solve those problems. And yet, and then when the, the innocent bystanders who are caught up in this seek refuge, we summarily say no, turn them around, and sometimes dump them hundreds and hundreds of miles away from where they came with absolutely nothing. And sometimes with not a single piece of their belongings, except for what is on their body, they take their, their clothes, they call it garbage. They, they say, this is trash, throw it away. Diapers, you name it. And this is, this is, this is happening to babies. This is happening to mothers. There have been cases now recently where uh, families were deported. Mothers who had given birth to their children in the United States were deported with their U.S. citizen babies and, and had to go through the process of trying to be repa repatriated back into the United States. So, you know, we have, we have so many, so many different stories um, and yet very, very rarely talk about why this is the case and the part that the United States has played in this. Um, are you, do you have a sense of when we first started to detain people at the border? I mean, when did that aspect of the, was it under Clinton when, when we amped up? Um, you know, the, esca the escalate, I, I can't answer that. I, I don't know, I can't say that there was a peak in escalation. I mean, in terms of deportations generally, both at the border and the deportations through ICE enhancement and the expansion of ICE, that began to occur under the Obama administration. Um, and, and frankly, what, what the Trump administration did afterwards also is unspeakable. But what we have to acknowledge is that that foundation was already there. The reason why Trump was as successful as he was in executing his, his vile, evil, racist plans is because he had a solid foundation on which to build. And, and we have to acknowledge that that has occurred because of, again, choices made by both Democrats and Republicans. Um, but you do see that escalation occur under the Obama administration, and you begin to see it, of course, manifest into what it is today under the Trump administration. Um, I ha we have a question that has come up a couple of times, and I'm not sure if, if you've covered this, but uh, it's a little bit off topic, but related, of course. The, the femicides that are happening um, in Mexico and Central America, could you touch on that a little bit? Are you... Are you are you aware of what's going on? I, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't think people know. We didn't say that I'm actually based, or maybe you did in the intro, that I, I've been based in 
Playa del Carmen, Mexico, since uh, the beginning of December. So I, I have definitely um, began to notice and be uh, and observe kind of the I, this is, of course, very far. It's at the very far end of, of Mexico, um, close to Belize, close to Honduras. And so I have heard um, related to immigration, of course, uh, nothing in terms of, as you said, you know, like it's not like the word is being is being spread. Hey, don't come to the United States. They're not going to let you in. I have seen an increase in uh, immigration in immigration checks uh, where where Mexican officials are. And, and frankly, that process is also incredibly racist and um, and entirely based on stereotyping. Um, they're not stopping anyone who is light skinned, very like, show me your papers in the United States. They're doing that here too. If you look like you might be coming from Central America, they're stopping you. Uh, so we have seen an increase in that. But in addition to that, of course, um, there is the issue with violence against women. And, and that very much is very much um, has overlap with, uh, with immigration and, and folks that are making that very dangerous journey from their homes through Mexico into the United States. And, and you see that not only are women already more vulnerable, especially in, um, in a culture like Mexico that is still very deeply sexist, very deeply misogynist, and very deeply violent towards women. Um, but then you place women in those even more vulnerable situations where, where they really don't have any assistance whatsoever, not from the government, not from the police, not from, uh, from border patrol. It, it really, when you think about it, um, it's stuff of nightmares. It really and is. Not to mention that, let's just you know, be very clear, there have been countless reports of law enforcement actually taking part in these homicides. And that's, in, that's exactly correct. That's exactly correct. And there was a case that recently in Tulum, um, I lived in Tulum for about a month before I moved over to Playa, uh, where the police, uh, through, uh, through police brutality, very similar to the George Floyd George Floyd situation, um, they they sat on her, they leaned on her, they have video until she died. And, and this happened in the middle of this, uh, you know, tourist hotspot. And, and, you know, fortunately, you are starting to see a lot of activism. You have, you know, there, there's so much hope when it comes to these, to the next generations, right? You know, our generation and then the, young, the younger women who are coming after us, um, that's always the, the silver lining, uh, not a very pleasant one, of course, because you would think that after all of these years, we would, they would be in a better position, not a worse one. Um, but it, it has been really awesome to see firsthand the type of activism that is occurring in Mexico um, against police brutality, against uh, femicides, against misogyny, uh, that they're very pro-immigrant. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's nice to see that, that that is happening in the United States amongst the activists there, but also in Mexico. Um, and everybody is just kind of trying to do whatever they can. That's, that's all we can do at the end of the day. Well, we also have to demand that our leaders uh, well, yeah. have some sort of human decency. Uh, right. Lucy Flores, love having you on. Thank you for joining Thanks. us. Enjoy the sunshine. <laughs> Thank you. I am jealous, but I'm in Miami, so I'm really... There, there you see. Yeah, exactly. You're enjoying the same days. thing. <laughs> All right, Lucy. Thanks, Thanks. Nomi. Happy to have you back on anytime soon. Enjoy. Wonderful. Thanks, Nomi.
All right, we will be right back with our fabulous panel, Esperanza Fonseca and Piper Winkler are here. Be right back. Okay guys, you know I love them, you know it. You know I love Sunset Lake CBD. They are a farmer owned company that ships craft CBD directly from their farm in Vermont to your door. They have all sorts of different products. I've talked about their tinctures, their gummies, their salves, their coffee, their fudge. Uh, I think they have, they, I just read this, I don't know if it's out yet, but they have CBD for your pets, which my dog definitely needs. Um, they are originally a farm that was owned by the Ben and Jerry's. Yes, the leftist Ben and Jerry's, and they decided to diversify and grow premium hemp. Uh, they have a minimum wage of $15 an hour for their employees, and their employees own the majority of their company. On top of all that, when they advertise, they advertise with left media. They partner with us. They want to grow with us, like the Nomi Key Show, the David Pakman Show, the Majority Report. But okay, so this is the big news. There's a 420 sale happening. Oh yeah, it's it's April 16th, April 20th, 420. Uh, their sale, Sunset Lake's 420 sale, runs through April 23rd. So if you go on their website and you use the coupon code 420420, you will get 30% off their your entire purchase. Seriously, 30% off. That's huge. Just use the code 420. The number is 420. And oh, the dog biscuits. Okay, so let's talk about that because um, my parents, uh, they have a dog. His name is Bijou and he is uh, a poodle mix and he is just a ball of anxiety. And ever since lockdown, his personality has shifted. And so when my mom leaves, he has a panic attack and he just starts biting himself. So for four months, he had a cone on his neck and I was giving him part, some of the tincture because like we couldn't, he kept biting his tail and it was all raw. And then we take it off, it was healed. And then you go back to it. So it's just like back and forth, back and forth. But we started to integrate CBD. And then just in time, of course, Sunset Lake CBD comes out with the dog biscuits and there's different flavors. Uh, three simple ingredients, peanut butter, pumpkin, and oat flour, which is great because uh, Bijou can't also, he, he can't eat turkey or any fowl because it gives him rations. These are things that you have to be concerned about when you have small dogs. <laughs> they say, be, be, be careful what you wish for when you have a child. <laughs> Very similar with a dog. Um, anyways, it is, um, we're very excited about this. And also, uh, brand new news, Sunset Lake CBD is proud to announce that their colleague TJ is now part owner of the company. TJ spends his days filling orders, answering customer questions, and blasting the Majority Report live stream through the warehouse speakers, hopefully our show too. Uh, this is incredible news because Sunset Lake CBD believes that worker ownership is key to creating a more democratic and equitable world. And the majority of the company, as we've mentioned before, is owned by their workers. So. Very exciting. Shout out to TJ. We wanted to throw that out there. All right, guys, go check out Sunset Lake CBD. Go to sunsetlakecbd.com. And remember, if you put 420, you get 30% off your order. That's only until April 23rd. Okay. Is there a panel here? Yeah? Do we have some panelists? 
It's Friday, it's Fun Friday. So I'm really excited because uh, while we get the panelists and I'll do their introductions, we have Esperanza Fonseca who's joining us. She is an affirm member. She's a labor and policy organizer. Uh, she's a regular on our show. And of course, Piper Winkler, she is a producer here at TNS and she is the co-chair of Harvard YW, YDSA, excuse me, YDSA. Um, and she was formerly an organizer for Bernie. Hello, how's everybody doing today? Hi, Namiki, nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. Okay, so we've got so much news that's happening right now, um, but I wanna start with my favorite because it's Friday. So uh, of course we gotta talk about The View and of course we have to talk about Chelsea Clinton's appearance on The View, talking about supporting women in Afghanistan. Let's play that. Earlier in Hot Topics about Biden's decision to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, one of the things I'm most concerned about is what will happen to the Afghani women should their fate be left to the Taliban. Are you concerned about their well-being following the removal of American troops? And do you think that Biden is considering this piece of the puzzle? You know, I certainly understand why President Biden uh, made the decision uh, that he did. I think that he's been um, kind of very clear about why he thought this was the right decision for the United States at this moment in time. And I do have confidence that the Biden administration is focused on ensuring that um, not only women's rights, but women themselves and girls are, are protected in Afghanistan. I certainly think that uh, we owe it uh, to uh, the women and the children of Afghanistan, to the uh, NGO partners that the United States has uh, worked with and supported uh, to the women in the Afghan government um, to not only listen, but to be responsive uh, to their concerns, you know, over this year and, and going forward. Okay. <laughs> Where do we begin with this one? Just two daughters of um, families that love to throw bombs in different countries and no big deal. And now we're going to be here justifying them. My God. Okay, yes, we're getting out of Afghanistan, thank God, 20 years later. Uh, sure, there is going to be instability. But are they really justified? Like, like, what does Meghan McCain want? Does she think that it's going to be worse? Or I don't think either is, not. it's not good either way, right? Clearly. Piper, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you framed this beautifully by pointing out that it is this is a discussion that's happening between two daughters of warmongers who love dropping bombs on innocent people all over the world. I mean, I think that what comes up really clearly is Chelsea Clinton purports to care so much about the, the interests of, of Afghani women, um, pretends to care about, obviously, how the U.S. military, obviously a famous champion of women's rights um, across the globe, how they're going to deliver a just outcome uh, for women who have undoubtedly wanted them to stop terrorizing their region for basically as old as I am, you know, as many years as I am, as I am old. So I think what's interesting here is also the fact that Biden would have, that, that, that Clinton believes that Biden has the best interest of these women in mind. I think it's clear that Biden doesn't have the best interests of American women in mind, for example, when he chooses to pass over basic principles of housing policy, uh, when he chooses to ignore crises of homelessness, the fact that many people are facing housing insecurity, are facing all kinds of financial insecurity and um, are facing health crises as well and is not responding to those in the way that I think any any real progressive or leftist would want to respond. And of course, this isn't to say that Biden should only focus on the interests of American women and ignore uh, the obvious gross casualties that the US has caused across the world. Um, I think that Biden, uh, as a, a 
as a good leftist president would ideally be interested in supporting people all over the world um, and to address all of the harm that the US has created, but not on the US's terms. And I think that's what bothers me so much about this is that obviously if Biden goes forward with some plan that he says is in the best interest of women across the world, that's going to be on the terms of a highly capitalist um, imperialist administration uh, rather than on the terms of those people who are supposed to want this aid. I, you know, it's, I'm so glad that you mentioned the things that he failed to do in this, um, with this economic crisis, because we're, we've covered this ad nauseum, the economy has affected women almost entirely. <laughs> of course, uh, working women, immigrant women, uh, women of color the most. And simultaneously, you know, this is the guy who doesn't support the $15 minimum wage, doesn't support Medicare for all. He doesn't support fair housing policies. He doesn't, he's not, you know, there, there's multiple aspects of this economy that he has not dealt with that would empower most women in this country. Um, Esperanza, why do we even care what effing Chelsea Clinton says? Can I just start with that? Like, why, why is this even on? Yeah, I mean, I think that we need to expose her as nothing more than an ideologue for the capitalist imperialist class. I mean, um, but you know, it's it's not just Chelsea Clinton. It's every single person that has used their platform and their standing to defend Biden. Uh, that includes AOC. That includes members of the squad who dress up as progressives, but actually in the end of the day, do nothing but maintain and manufacture consent for US imperialism, uh, which is killing women, children, people all over the world. I mean, first of all, Biden is likely a rapist. I do believe Tara Reid. I do not agree with the Me Too movement that suddenly stopped caring about rape and sexual assault when it was you know, at the hands of a Democrat. Um, Additionally, if Biden cared about women, he wouldn't be starving them with sanctions, you know, at different countries around the world. Uh, he wouldn't be keeping the refugee cap at the number that Trump had, which just came out. Uh, he wouldn't be packing immigrant women in uh, concentration camps, detention centers like uh, sardines. So let's be honest, Biden does not care about women, uh, but they are using the concerns of women, just like they use the concerns of the LGBT community in order to uh, maintain consent for their rule. Um, and that's why I think it even just goes beyond the condition of women, but this is not Biden being an anti-imperialist by moving troops out, out of Afghanistan. First of all, we need to see if it even happens, which it might not happen. But secondly, I mean, he's just moving his pawns around to different places in the world. The imperialist system is still alive and well. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're already expanding into like the Ukraine region and, and, and reallocating uh, troops to the Russian border as they put sanctions on Russia, as Russia has pulled out diplomats all over the world. Just, just it's, it's um, curious foreign policy. I mean, with, with, just, just to put, put a bookend on this, I don't understand what Meghan McCain's trying to do here. I, that's, the, that's the other, what, what, I, it, I'm very confused. Like they're trying to shift the debate about whether or not, I mean, that is an intentional conversation they're having on The View, which is the largest rated audience, uh, daytime audience on a main channel. And they're having a real conversation about should we or should we not leave Afghanistan when polling 
overwhelmingly says we should be leaving Afghanistan, not because we should be moving our troops other places, but as Esperanza says, because people are sick of this, because people feel it personally. People don't understand why we can't have health care, and yet we're spending our entire budget on bombing children in villages because, you know, we're having a big penis contest with Russia or whoever, um, some turf war in Afghanistan. Okay, let's, let's shift gears for a second because... Um, I'm going to lose my mind. All right, Andrew Yang, uh, the future mayor of New York. <sighs> I say that because I can't stand him. Uh, Andrew Yang has been caught laughing off some misogynist comments. Um, I do want to have a bigger conversation about what this means. So let's play this. Can a man keep his timbs on? Can a man keep his timbs on? Yeah, yeah. why he fucking bitches? Can a man keep his timbs on? Oh, my. I mean, I really. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm in I disbelief. Think, I think it's purely up to your partner, right? I mean, if your partner is cool with it. That's what I'm saying. I love Andrew Yang. He, he, yeah. he, he told bitches oh he told me. He told me. I don't know why. They, I mean, I, I know why this bothered me so much, but I think what's really um, frustrating to me is, so he's like the guy who like wants everybody to like him. And when you're not willing to stand for something as simple as, uh, dude, that's not appropriate, or, I mean, this is, this, this, he's very likely, there's a new poll out today, he's leading with double digits, uh, and the election's in two days. Piper, I mean, <laughs> I, I call, I think that if he was elected, he's going to get impeached, but um, seems like nothing's sticking now. Am I, am I wrong? Like, we can't hold our lawmakers accountable. Like, people don't care. It's like the next thing, post-Trump era, like, this, this, we're canceling the, like, the furthest left people out for the simplest of things, and yet our electeds who are going to make monumental decisions can be rapists on the left, supposed left, can say things like this, can have absolutely no policy experience. We know the list is. What to make of this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... Obviously, my problems with Yang range from, first of all, obviously, you don't want to see elected officials condoning jokes like this. And I guess one thing that I, I appreciated a lot about other campaigns that I've seen, you know, Bernie Sanders, for example, would shut questions like that down pretty quickly. And in fact, would shut down questions about his favorite music and say, no, I want to go back to the policy. You know, that's that's my ideal way of interacting with uh, with unserious questions for political candidates. And obviously, this is a pretty extreme example of that. I think, specifically speaking beyond just this particular, uh, this particular example um, of condoning this kind of, of misogynistic behavior, of condoning a misogynistic joke, it's also interesting to sort of put this in context with other of Yang's policies. I know I talk about, I talk about housing policy on the, all the time on the show, but this is actually, I think, very pertinent to, to Yang's candidacy as well as the ways that he's obviously thrown out ideas about TikTok hype houses and has played with all kinds of housing ideas that just don't get down to the fact that what really needs to happen is like the full funding of public housing and, you know, making sure that everyone in New York doesn't just get, you know, it's not just a, a tiny minimum wage for the smallest percentage of the most low-income New Yorkers, but obviously if you want to be a really progressive leftist leader, that should also mean, you know, fighting misogyny, not only by shutting down questions like this, but by fighting for housing for all. Obviously that, that goes beyond misogyny, it affects everyone, but it's more a matter of, you know, making sure that 
you also fight for, for real material needs uh, for women and for their basic safety, their ability to leave unsafe situations. And, you know, I see an unsatisfactory answer from Yang here, and I also see an unsatisfactory answer in the arena of policy. So, you know, that's my thought. He, I mean, he's completely unfamiliar with some basic components of, of how New York City government works. Um, it's 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 horrifying. This is like a, a completely horrifying situation. You know, Donald Trump was horrifying because he didn't know basic things. Andrew Yang is not as vulgar, although he was a little bit here. Um, but I mean, this is a guy who who had no problem leaving New York City during uh, the economic crisis and and saying I couldn't imagine raising my kids in the middle of COVID in New York. I mean, a lot of people had to leave New York because they couldn't afford to live in New York, and he decided he was going to Westchester to raise his children. Had no problem saying it. That's what's driving me crazy. He doesn't even understand what he's saying is disconnected from the realities at this moment in particular, where New York has already gone through a horrible economic crisis over the last 10 years, where income inequality is worse than any other city in America, where the housing crisis is at the top of the list with many other big you know, cities, including Los Angeles and San Francisco and Miami and Chicago, we know, and Boston, of course. Um, and through all this, He's the guy leading in the polls. I know, Esperanza, you're not in New York, but it, it, this is symbolic of obviously a much bigger problem we're facing in society. Yeah, I mean, you know, my problems with Yang have uh, stemmed back to the fact that it's almost, his campaign is almost offensive. I mean, we as the working class in this country, our issues do not revolve around, uh, you know, how much money we get per month. They're, they're a lot deeper than that. And yet Yang uh, sort of had this, you know, type of compromise plan where he sort of like, I almost feel like he was like holding a scrap of meat in front of people like, oh, here's a thousand dollars a month, vote for me. But really, you know, his plan would not stop uh, the accumulation and concentration of wealth and therefore power in the hands of fewer and fewer people, while the rest of us continue to have less of it. His, his plan would never have addressed the root issues of our problems. Now, in this case in particular, I mean, uh, should we be surprised? Uh, these bourgeois politicians, uh, their conception of power is is not based on serving the people like a socialist or communist conception of power is. It's based in this narcissistic, self-serving, careerist type of, uh, you know, a uh, sort of elected official model, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think that what what sort of angers me about this is one, I don't take. Uh, jokes about choking women to be funny ever. Um, you know, I'm from Southern California. I remember a few years ago, Zoraida Reyes, who was a transgender woman in the sex trade, was strangled by a sex buyer and left dead in her car. I remember uh, US uh, Marine Scott Pemberton, who strangled uh, transgender woman Jennifer Laud in the Philippines, and he was recently released. So, you know, choking women is actually a part of violence against women. And it's it's interesting that leftist men will often be so critical of the mainstream media, MSNBC, CNN. But yet when it comes to pornography and sexualized images of beating, torturing, choking, killing women, raping women, somehow then, oh, we cannot be critical of it, right? Uh, otherwise then that's sort of problematic territory. I think ultimately misogyny is based into, it's baked into our culture. It's embedded within our society. And we need a sort of 
cultural revolution that can upturn that. And a reformist, capitalist, imperialist politician like Andrew Yang is not fit to do that. I also think that he tries to have this like bro-y appearance and just be okay with whatever goes. And I also think that's a super toxic attitude. Um, I just want to, you know, pivot off of that broy thing because there is this this overlaps with this ecosystem that we talk about so much on the show, mainly because I'm just part of it, um, of YouTube politics or justice, all, 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 everywhere, right? The numbers are overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly male, like in the 80s and 90 percent percentile, and that is not something that is accidental. That is a design flaw, and it is exacerbated. And so, tech companies are partners in facilitating this there is an overlap i mean we you know we understand how the the gamer world uh has spilled into the online media world and how the audiences have filtered over um or vice versa you know twitch is a perfect example which we're on but this isn't about a it is not a symptom of something this is something that is a, is a design and until we are able to, to hold these tech CEOs and these tech companies accountable and break them up or demand that they change their algorithms or have people who are part who are more reflective of society, they're generating the conversation. Can you imagine Fox News having all male hosts and an all male audience? Because let me tell you something, their audience is more diverse and generating a conversation more diverse than this audience. And we have, and, and you know, obviously Fridays is all women, and that's why we do this. But, but specifically, it's because, like, this is this is this is this wouldn't happen on cable news, and it's happening online right now. And real conversations are being driven, and um, pr produced, and like watched, and whatever the ratings are, they're driven by an almost overwhelmingly all male audience. And then it goes on to Twitter, and then women will get engaged and respond. But it is being generated. That is insane in 2021. Sorry, I'm getting off my soapbox. Piper, I can see you nod your head. Thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I think in terms of creating like a, a more diverse uh, space for, um, for women's voices in media, First of all, that seems absolutely essential. And I think that it allows people to bring up a, a more diverse range of experiences in order to identify. I mean, I personally feel that, you know, having organized alongside people of all genders, that obviously we want people to be able to take up the fight of, you know, collective, collective resistance against misogyny, regardless of their gender. That's everyone's issue, you know, much in the way that struggles against racism and uh, struggles against transphobia are everyone's issue as well. And I think that. I, I see such value in being able to include more women in the, the discourse so that when we do have conversations between women um, talking about issues that women face, it's not just listening to, for example, Meghan McCain and Chelsea Clinton decide what women all over the world need, because I think the outcomes of that conversation certainly, you know, certainly won't satisfy me. And I think they're, they're sure to satisfy very, very few members of the working class. Final thoughts, Esperanza. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think obviously it's a problem when there's, you know, sort of like male dominated media spaces, etc. But I also think that we have to be very careful of uh, this representation and diversity argument. I mean, this is what allowed Biden to paint himself as progressive in the primary when he was asked, will you have a female VP? What does it matter if you have a female VP if your female VP 
is against the interests of the masses of women around the world, right? Um, I think it's sort of, you know, I think about trans representation. I mean, is your trans representation someone like Charlotte Clymer, who's a running dog for US imperialism? Or is it somebody who actually represents the interests of the masses of people in that country, right, around the world? And so I think that we, the, the age of class devoid identity politics has to end in 2021. We have seen it played against us so many times, whether from the Biden administration, from others, like it is time for us to demand that we do not talk about representation, diversity, or identity without anchoring it in class and who does this ideology, who does this person serve? Do they serve the masses of people or do they serve the ruling class? And, and, and like, you know, let's just be very clear, many of these people are actually paid actors. They're being paid to represent and distort the conversation on behalf of the ruling class. It's not just that the representatives or people that come from the world, they're operatives in the ruling class. I mean, you look at the receipts and you're like, wait, you're just, well, we're all having, uh, you know, honest conversations online. They're being paid to disrupt the conversation and shift it in a different direction. Just like on Facebook, you know, Ben Shapiro is getting rewarded and he's generating that conversation. Uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't operate the same way. Piper Winkler, Speranza Fonseca, love having you on. Thank you for joining us on Fridays. Always appreciative. Keep up the incredible work and we will see you very soon. Thanks so much for having Thank me you. on. Good to be on with you, Esperanza. You too. All right, we've got some shout outs. Oh, okay, let me see if I can get this right. Okay, Rachel Kay says, leftist and leftish men have been sexist since I started being involved in cis C-I-S-P-E-S, just so that everybody knows. In the 80s, it's gotten better, but nobody's at 100%. Listen, sex, it's not just a leftist thing. It's misogyny, it's, it's, it's part of capitalism. I mean, the patriarchy is intertwined into capitalism. Uh, racism is intertwined into capitalism. So, you know, until we're really able to deconstruct these narratives and educate um, our allies and how to deconstruct these narratives so that it spills over, I mean, that's some of the work that we're trying to do here. And it's, uh, it's an uphill battle. Well, but we're working at it. So thank you, everybody who watches. <laughs> Ken M says some sends some love. Thank you, Ken. And Kyler Sato says uh, send some love as well. Very appreciative to you. Thank you for the super chats. Uh, shout outs to Maudie Mouse, Mr. Quimper, the dynamic dreamer, our means, not Grankler. Thank you. You guys are all amazing. Thank you for the subs on Twitch. We got some new subs. Uh, Melanie D44 says, Hey, Nomiki, can I send you a link about a boss who brought down his pay so all his workers can? can earn at least $70,000 a year. And his business has tripled in the last six years from now. I think that's Dan Price. I think we know him. We've reached out to him to come on. I don't know what happened to that. We should follow up. But yes, please send it to me if it's not the same one. All right. Quasi Spec says, if anyone ever does the actual gaming side of Twitch, like myself, there are some streams that are clearly more comfortable for women, yes, to be in that you see sometimes. And that atmosphere is something that needs to be carefully cultivated by the streamer. Absolutely. It's, you know, we shouldn't have to be so intentional and thoughtful about having fairness and respect. Um, and these tech companies, you know, they they like to say that they're progressive, but deeply at its at the root, there is extraordinary misogyny and, and racism. And that's some of that's just a reflection of how you know how much diversity is really at the origin. Some of it's just actually intrinsic to the culture. Uh, okay, what else do we have here? RBF Dragon says the Nomi Key Show, I'm hyped on this minimum wage issue and pissed that our progressive leaders that could be fighting and getting loud aren't agreed. 
I want to write to AOC and the squad, but I also want to do something locally. My rep here in California is Amibera. Mm, so how can I friggin' make a difference here? I have no idea where to start. I know it's a big question. Okay, good question. Oh, Renee Artis says, check out ResistBot. It makes, uh, it makes it easy to write to representatives. That is definitely, there's a lot of ways you can write to representatives. Um, great, you know, texting and messaging. Um, definitely recommend doing that. You could just call their office. Uh, you, you know, some offices will even meet with you if you have like a, if you've made a really good case. I used to work in, uh, in a Senate office when I was like, very young, I was like 16. Um, but you know, it was amazing to see how, how easily some of these folks could get, uh, meetings, not with senators, but representatives in the office. Evan, uh, sends us some love and says, fight the patriarchy. You got it. Dismantle the patriarchy. That's what this is all about. Oh, we've got a lot more chats. Okay, I don't know who sent this one, um, Dorsey, but it says Democrats have often so many problems, sexist, misogynist, racist, but the alternative is way worse. Yes, criticism of the Democrats helps elect Republicans, eh, which enforces policies which harm more people than those of Democrats. How should criticism be brought up? I will always choose the lesser evil. Is this wrong? The left eating itself is kind of becoming a meme already. Just very frustrating that we are kind of forced to vote for bad people because the alternative of work is worse. How do you handle this? This is Fenixy underscore. I mean, that's why primaries matter. This is why this is why I talk so much about getting involved in these institutions and reforming them because most of them are pretty calcified and there's a lot of people who aren't paying attention. Um, and you know, sometimes the margins are really small. Like, look at the DNC numbers right now. Keith Ellison almost won. Uh, they really had to put the fix in to 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 to, to go against him. But the next time around, I'm probably, there's probably going to be more progressives. Um, it's it's you know, it can't just be about presidential elections. I think we all know this. You you have to you have to get into the weeds because that's what our opposition does. Is they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on making sure that they are in control of the rules. Um, and they will do all it takes to maintain power. But the reality is, is that, you know, it's very hard to fight passionate activists who have a stake in politics, a personal stake in politics. It's not financial, meaning like their existence. And, uh, you know, hacks are gonna hack. So get involved locally. I mean, I know that I have a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of, folks online who like to criticize me for saying, take over your Democratic Party, but why wouldn't you? You wanna give that power to the capital capitalists? I don't understand. Um, <laughs> that's how, you know, that's how you get on a ballot. That's how you win primaries, that you gotta have the people to win those primaries. And if you do elect progressives and they aren't doing what they promised, Hold their feet to the fire. Doesn't mean you cancel them, but pressure them. Or pressure Chuck Schumer to pressure Joe Manchin or go protest Joe Manchin every single step of the way. I mean, we talked about this yesterday on the show with Arun Chowdhury. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch that. Um, Arun and I talked about, you know, a roadmap to, to how we hold Joe Manchin accountable so that we can get things passed in the Senate. You make, you make those guys, those are the ones that are doing it ruthlessly. You make their lives uncomfortable because they think that they can get away with, you know, defend, being a, a representative to Raytheon rather than the people that elected them. And they think they can say things like they live in a, in a state that's a swing state and then that's why they have to act this way. No, 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 you have to make their lives uncomfortable. They're more accustomed to answering to Raytheon than they are to their people. And so the people gotta speak up. Now, if our progressives are not as progressives, I don't think we should cancel them, but we should definitely say why. 
ask the questions. All right, everybody. Oh, Kowalski from Nebraska sends some last minute love. Thank you, Kowalski from Nebraska. We got some more here. All right. Everybody in the live chats, got to say thank you. I know there were a lot of trolls today for some reason. Not sure what happened, but really grateful to everybody. Uh, the moderators have been amazing today on YouTube. Bob C. Choke in the Orb and Chuck Diesel. You are great. The trolls are out today. I don't know what's in the air or in the water. And uh, over at Twitch, Dorian Sapiens, A Difficult Truth, Nug Wrangler, and our memes. Thank you for keeping those chat rooms troll free. And of course, Work in the algorithms, Midi Docs and Mario, always appreciative. All right, we will see you next week on Tuesday. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Femme Friday. Enjoy your weekends and stay in solidarity.